All right, well, as the children prepare to leave, we're going to return again to the Gospel of John. Today, we're going to turn to the 10th chapter. As we continue our powerful I Am statements we're reviewing, remember there are seven in this entirety that we've been looking at, or will be looking at. We have reviewed, actually, two of the seven. So a quick review of where we were uh, prior weeks. We have seen the first I Am statement written in John chapter 6, where he, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In chapter 6, verse 35, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That was the first I am statement that we had of the seven. The second was last week then, and we turned to John chapter 8 and found in verse 12, where Jesus spoke, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And, of course, I should also remind us that we started the entire series before the I Am actually began with John chapter 4 when Jesus spoke that he is the living water. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So that's where we've been, John 4, John 6, and John chapter 8. Now we jump a couple more chapters to John chapter 10, and we find not one, but two more I am statements in the 10th chapter. So stand with me this morning as we do to receive the word of God and to honor the reading. Although we will be reading the beginning of the chapter in just a moment, we're going to leap down to verse 7 and begin our reading and then read through verse 18. Here's what the 10th chapter Gospel of John says in verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life and may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Well, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do come before you today, Lord, thanking you for the opportunity we have here this morning to review just another powerful I Am statement from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. I pray, Lord, today that we receive this text and see how it applied to that time, but also see how it applies to us in our day and time. So lead and guide and direct. Let the Holy Spirit lead us completely today, Lord. I pray to words that will be said is not my words or what I want to say, but the words you want us to hear to penetrate our heart and soul. So thank you, Lord, for what shall happen here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
Well, being now in our third I am and now fourth message of the series, you may have seen a pattern kind of develop where we go into a bit of the reading and then a bit of an explanation followed into application. Now, hopefully that particular pattern has allowed you to understand the context in which Jesus was speaking some of these I am statements that are so powerful. But it's interesting that even in the day that Jesus was speaking these particular statements, that people did not always understand. Now, we've seen that in nearly every scenario in every particular case so far, including even the woman at the well, which is really not the I am statement. Because it seems then that Jesus' use of analogy, being the bread and the water and the light, has all fallen short of the audience's understanding. And the same occurs here in chapter 10 today. Take verse 6, for example. We'll part of a reading. We'll come to it in a moment. But verse 6 says, this figure of speech, which Jesus is using here, he used with them, they did not understand what he was saying to them. So once again, we find that his use of another analogy, and maybe even a parable here, they don't seem to fully understand what he's speaking. And then while then that demonstrates the people's lack of comprehending and their lack of understanding, it's also notable here that he takes this opportunity to speak of another I am statement in another setting that is extremely important. Now remember real quickly, last week we talked in John chapter 8 where he says, I am the light of the world. And he was doing so at the Feast of Tabernacles. We had a picture of the temple and we showed that he was in the court of women, also known as the court of the treasury, in which they had these 13 different trumpets in which they would give their offerings. And he spoke at a particular moment with the lighting of the wicks that was used by the, the worn out uh, priest's garments. And he, in the lighting of the temple, he would spoke at the particular moment and said, I am the light of the world. It was an occasion. He came to center stage, made the proclamation. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, here then, in chapter 10, it's some time removed, of course, but it's another particular festival. It's another feast. So what is the occasion? What is the festival at this particular time? Well, it didn't reveal it in a writing or reading, so we jump down to verse 22. And it tells us in verse 22 the occasion now. It says that at that particular time, it was the Feast of Dedication that took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So now then, once again, Jesus is taking center stage. He's saying, I am the door. I am the good shepherd at the Feast of Dedication. Also known, though, as the Festival of Hanukkah. Now, no modern translation you're going to find that is talked about being the Feast of Hanukkah. But it is indeed the case. Some of the scholars I looked up last week, particularly E.A. Bloom, says this. The Feast of Dedication, referred to in verse 22 of the 10th chapter, is nowadays called Hanukkah, or the Feast of Lights. It commemorates the reconsecration of the temple by Judas Maccabeus in 165 B.C. after its desecration in 168 by Antiochus Epiphanes. The time for the eight-day feast was December. It was winter, as verse 22 also disclosed. The feast reminded the Jewish people of their last great deliverance from their enemies. Solomon's colonnade was a long covered walkway on the east of the temple. Two months had elapsed since Jesus' last confrontation, that had been in chapter 8 at the Feast of Tabernacles, which was in October. 
now Jesus again returned to the temple area. So there we find yet another instance, another occasion where he's taken center stage. He comes, makes another proclamation of another wonderful truth. In fact, this particular time, no, he's not just saying one I am statement. Now he's saying two. And we're going to dissect them both in just a moment. But he says, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. He takes a moment at another wonderful festival when everybody's coming to Jerusalem within the earshot of the temple and he makes another truth. The third and fourth I am statements. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. As we now see the contextual setting in which he's making the truth, we can now lead to the application. And our first application point this morning then is this, because Jesus makes it known. He is not one of many doors to the Father, but the only door. Jesus is not one of many doors, but the only door to the Father. As mentioned earlier, the people listening to Jesus at the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah are lost on his I Am statement. I mean, he literally says at this particular portion of the early part of the reading, I am the door. Now, one would think then at that particular time, if anyone should understand what he means when he says, I am the door, it would be the original audience gathered around the temple in Jerusalem. However, as much as shepherding was an occupation at that particular time, people obviously didn't understand as verse 6 witnessed. So to make sure we understand, it's worth that we go back to the beginning of the reading. I said we'll come back to it in just a moment in the beginning of chapter 10. So let's do that now to see how it all sets up. In chapter 10, verse 1, Jesus again in the temple, Solomon's colonnade, the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, he begins speaking there. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that means is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will, fo they will flee from him for it does not know the voice of the stranger. So there in the first five verses, we find then that Jesus, he's obviously talking about shepherding. And, and he now speaks to the people, I am the door, but they still don't seem to get it. And you would think then that if anybody would understand what he means with I am the door, it would be those people who were shepherds at that particular day and time. It was an occupation that was pretty common. But shepherding today is not so common. I mean, it's still an occupation, but it's not one which many people are familiar with. As I glance around the room and look at each of you, I'm looking for who is the shepherd. Does anybody have any sheep back at the house? I know Jeannie has all kinds of wonderful wildlife. But you need to get you some sheep. That's one thing you're missing at your farm. Johnny, we need some sheep. You can be the new shepherd in town. But, but even if they had sheep, I mean, because we don't, we don't seem to have shepherding today. There is some shepherding, but it's not even done like it was then. I mean, in America, for people who do have sheep, 
they don't shepherd the same way they did back in biblical times. Because in America, a shepherd, well, he usually walks behind the sheep and kind of drives them in the right direction. But in the land and day of the Bible, even still today, if you go to Israel, you'll find later, if you may get a chance to see this, that the shepherd will lead the sheep, not stand behind to be leading the sheep. The shepherd speaks, as it was talked about in the first five verses, and the flock that he follow. The shepherd goes ahead to show the way and protect from dangers and to find the best for the sheep in the water and the pasture. Even further, the shepherd would lead his sheep then, eventually, as day comes to a close, into the sheep pen, or as mentioned in our text, the sheepfold. Now, the sheepfold actually was like a large pen that had a wall surrounding it. And, you know, actually it would be large enough where several shepherds could have their entire flocks come in this large area surrounded by this wall, which then would allow the other shepherds to maybe get some sleep while one particular shepherd would be kept watch. But then as morning came, the shepherds, of course, went back to collect the flock. And they would naturally use the door or the gate. But of course, as the text mentioned, a thief or a robber would might try to climb, climb in another way. So then notably then, as the shepherd gathered his sheep in the morning, he would just naturally call his sheep. And the sheep would recognize his voice and assemble. And then the sheep, knowing the voice of the particular shepherd or leader, would just migrate to him. Now, we don't see that much in modern day. Again, shepherding today, if we have any sheep, would be much different. I mean, you'd be deleting them rather than maybe calling them. But years ago, I did see something in practice that reminded me the way a shepherd would have done it back in biblical times. Where I hunt actually is towards the northern part of Gibson County in Hazleton. And there was a guy named Jack Harrell who used to have lots of cows on his farm. And I still hunt on his property. He has no cows today. That He's actually deceased. I did this funeral many years ago. But when I used to go out there as a young boy and used to go out there and, and, and hunt on his property, I always knew when Jack was near because he would call his cows. When he went to feed his cows in late in the afternoon and the evening, his cows would come to him when they heard his voice. Now prepare yourself. I'm going to call like Jack did. Are you ready? You might want to cover your ears a little bit because he, he would have a distinct voice and he would call his cows and his cows would hear him and they would just migrate to where he was. He, oh! Did you like that? Are you awake yet? Oh! I can't really do justice to it. But he had a distinct voice in which he would call those cows and they all would recognize that voice. He wasn't leading them. He was calling them just like the shepherds would. They would call a voice. They would recognize the voice of the shepherd, and it would just come to him. They recognized the master's voice. That was their shepherd. That was their leader. That was their master. And they recognized that voice, and it would just go right to him. And they could distinct between that voice of one particular master, shepherd, or leader, and that of another. It was an amazing thing. But then subsequently, so it is with us that we are the sheep in the sheepfold of the world. And Jesus, of course, is the door. He's the gate of the sheep, which are us. And as his sheep, then, we should be recognizing his voice. 
distinctly different than any other voice that we hear. Now you may say, okay, that sounds pretty logical, but what are you really trying to say? What does that mean exactly? It means simply this. If anyone who wants to be part of the kingdom of God, we, he says, I am the door. I must, you must go through Jesus. You must enter the, through the gate, the door that only Jesus provides to get to the Father. It is his voice and his voice only that we must follow. It is only his. The world is going to tell you there's multiple avenues, multiple ways. There's only one. Don't listen to any of the voice but the voice of our Lord and Savior. Now, Jesus at that particular day and time was making this statement. Again, people were either understanding, begin a little bit now, or not at all yet, as verse 6 indicated. But he always tries to make a point by repetition. So you go back to the text, you notice verses 7 through 9, he's really trying to get the message out. And we should be doing the exact same thing today to get the message out. By using repetition, Again, to say that Jesus is the door. Because in verse 7, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. There's only one way. But notice he don't say it just once. He says it again in verse 9. And he makes it even more abundantly clear. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be what? He'll be saved. He's, isn't he making it clear? I mean, but people really need to truly understand. People today still don't understand it. But it's a proclamation. It's the truth that we need to be shouting. There's only one way. It is Jesus. He is the gate. He is the door. Jesus is the gate, the door, to God's salvation for all of mankind. John MacArthur astutely points out, he said, this section echoes Jesus' words in John 14, 6. That he is the only way to the Father. His point is that he serves as a sole means to approach the Father and partake of God's promised salvation. Likewise, Charles Stanley says, He, Jesus, never claimed to be one route among several to an intimate relationship with God. But he insisted he was the only way. J. Vernon McGee, Jesus Christ is the way. He is the only way. He is the way out for you, and he is the way in for you. He has come to bring us abundant life. And I could go on and on with many other scholars who point to the truth. And maybe you get into the picture that Jesus is not one of many doors, as the world may tell you, to the Father, but the only door. He is the only way to see the Father. He is the door. So the question maybe we need to ask is, have we walked through this door? Have we walked through this door, or are we trying to sometimes desperately seek another door? Because all the other doors that you may be knocking on only lead to eternity and torment and Hades. And Jesus Christ is the only door. He's the only door to everlasting eternal happiness. It actually reminds me, if I was thinking about this last week, it reminded me of the words our Lord used in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. 
Don't we see that truth? Many people enter through the wrong gate. And wide is this destruction. But narrows the gate. Only one way is Jesus Christ. There's one way. Jesus is not one of many doors to the Father, but the only door. Now listen, here's the thing. People today may not want to hear it, and they may not even like it when you say it. You may tell them all the other doors, maybe they're knocking on, they're going to lead to eternity in hell, and that's true. They may not want to hear it, but that's true. They're going to be forever separated from the Father, forever separated from any of their loved ones who, who receive Jesus Christ. They'll forever be separated in torment. There's only one door. And Jesus makes that truth in the early beginning at the Feast of Dedication where he says, I am the door. But of course, that's not all he's saying here. There's another I am statement. So we'll go back to the text and recognize he says, I am the good shepherd. and leads us into our second application point. That Jesus is both our shepherd who leads us and the gate of the foe that protects us. He's both the shepherd who leads us and the gate of the foe that protects us. I mean, as noted in the sheepfold, the shepherd functioned as the gate. We've been recognizing, I've been talking about that. Letting the sheep, letting the sheep in and letting the sheep out. I mean, he's a protector. But he also refers not only as the gatekeeper, but the provider, protector of the gate, I mean, of the, of the sheep. He is the leader. He is the shepherd. And there's three characteristics of a shepherd that we should note this morning. Not only of a shepherd, but of our good shepherd. And the first characteristics of our good shepherd then is this. The good shepherd protects his sheep. As Jesus is the door, as he is the gate, he is also the mighty shepherd protecting his sheep. In very simplistic terms, Christ, Jesus Christ is our protector. Jesus says here, I am the good shepherd. So he's guiding us, protecting us in every part of our aspect of lives. We knew earlier that the shepherds are always protectors of their flock. David was a shepherd. And David is known to defend his protector sheep, his flock, by the lion and the bear. Now how fitting it is then that Jesus, our shepherd, has our best interest in mind, looking after us and protecting us, just like David would with his particular flock. So a notable comparison from David to Jesus as a shepherd is that he's a protector. He's a protector of all of us and all that we go through in life. But it's not just that he's a protector. We also find the second characteristic, that the good shepherd, Jesus, gives his life for the sheep. It's mentioned twice in verse 11 and verse 15. And because they arguably in the most important aspect, the most important characteristic or feature of Jesus' role as a shepherd is that he lays down his life for his sheep. As compared to other shepherds, we recognize them as protectors. I mean, David, yeah, he was a protector of a particular flock. But was David really going to lay down his life? For these animals, for the sheep? Was he really going to die for each of his sheep? I mean, it's the answer, the question, the answer to the question we don't really know. But God and Jesus, Jesus would truly die. He did die for every one of them. He lays down his life for us. 
I mean, you begin to really think about We can't fathom the fact that someone would truly lay down their life for another. I mean, we can be grateful for it. We can be extremely thankful. But we can't really fathom the fact that, that someone would truly lay down their life for another. Now, as much as we can't fathom that, we can begin to collect in our minds that Jesus loved us so much that he would do that and that he did do that. But the world today cannot still comprehend the fact that someone would die for someone else who arguably they didn't even know. Now, we know that Jesus truly knows us. But the world today can't comprehend that. And they then would view anyone, they would view anyone, anyone willing to lay down their life for someone else, they would view that as extreme. That only Jesus truly loves his every person in the world. So I, when, when the world says today that lay down your life for someone is something of an extreme nature, I have no argument with that. I actually find that's a correct assessment. Because I find that not everybody is willing to lay down their life for everyone else. Now, it's admirable that we may live through life and say, I would sacrifice my life for my child. I mean, I probably would truly sacrifice my life for the development and further life of my children. Or, or, or maybe, maybe very, very special friend, spouse, or whatever. But would you really lay down your life? Begin the process. Would you really lay down your life for a co-worker? For a neighbor? Would you lay down your life for an enemy or stranger? That's what really gets radical. That's what gets extreme because Jesus did that for every one of the people in this world. His enemies. He laid down his life for the people who spit on him, who mocked him, who beat him. He expressed the words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He went to the cross for his enemies, for people who beat him, for, for strangers, for, for everyone. I mean, who does that? Only Jesus. So yes, I would agree with the world, that is extreme. But it's Jesus. It's his character. It's his nature. It's because he is the good shepherd. I reflect back to Jack and his cows, and as he called them, collecting them all together like, like a shepherd, I can't think that Jack would ever sacrifice his life for one of his cows. We, we don't do that kind of thing. But Jesus sacrifices, lays down his life. That's a wonderful characteristic of our good shepherd. And again, he says it twice. I mean, repetition is the key in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he says again in verse 15. Just as the Father knows me, I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. He's making a point that he is the good shepherd. But notice he just doesn't lay it out there that, I mean, he'll lay down his life for the sheep. When he makes the point that he is the good shepherd, wouldn't lay down his life for the sheep, notice he draws a parallel or he draws, he draws a comparison and a contrast, if you will. In verse 12, 
he draws a great significant point that he is the good shepherd. He draws a great contrast to make sure that he recognizes those who are not. Verse 12, he says, Who is he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. I mean, he's making the point here that not everyone can be, not everyone is a good shepherd. The primary point of his illustration is to show the difference between the good shepherd, Jesus, who loved and cared for his sheep, and the hired hand who's only interested in money. The hired hand tends, pretends to care for the sheep, while the shepherd does it out of love. The shepherd owns the sheep and is committed to them. Whereas a hired hand cares nothing about them. And then Jesus, as the good shepherd, verse 11, demonstrates his own love for us, and he laid down his life. Just as is mentioned in John 15, 13, Jesus demonstrates his love and commitment by laying down his life for us. John 15, 13, great wonderful verse. Greater love hath no one than this, than man be willing to lay down his life for his friend. It's an absolute truth that we need to shout, we need to recognize, that Jesus is not merely doing a job. He's not really just doing a job as a shepherd. He is committed to love us and even lay down his life for us. It's a point we must get and understand. He's willing to lay down his life for us. He is a good shepherd. And he makes a great contrast to those false teachers and false prophets, false prophets and false teachers who do not have this commitment. You're thinking, who could that be? Well, that day it was the Pharisees. The Pharisees, that particular day and time, actually went through the motion, even victimizing widows and taking advantage. It's interesting, the text refers to them as thieves, robbers, hirelings, those who care not. The text also states that thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. In modern day, that would have been some of the Pharisees. But as much as it directs itself to the Pharisees in that day, we need to listen. Because it also is another group that exists today. Certain wealthy TV and radio evangelists. Now, I'm not trying to group them all together. But there are some that you have to be careful on. Because if you're listening to a radio TV evangelist, and all they're really doing is asking for your money, then you need to be careful. Because they're not really caring for you at all. They have a false sense of teaching. And they're constantly asking for money. And that's really all they're after. They're like these shepherds who, I mean, they're, they're not like, they're like the thieves, the robbers. They're the people who are coming to destroy rather than the ones who really come to love as a good shepherd. When you're listening, you have to ask yourself, does this seem to be a religious racket? Does someone get rich off of it? And if so, avoid it. And then compare it then to the Good Shepherd, who truly know you came to save sinners to give us life and abundant life. So just look out for the hireling, the thief who comes to gain financially. And maybe some people, false teachers today. But even though we recognize certain false teaching today and their lack of caring, I would be remiss if I didn't point you to the true enemy, the true adversary, the one who comes to kill, or who truly comes to destroy. Because we need to recognize our enemy is none other than truly Satan. 
And Satan has no interest in you at all personally. None. Whereas the good shepherd has your best and complete interest. Maybe it's better worded this way. In contrast to the thief, Satan, who takes life, Jesus gives life. The life that Jesus wants to give you right now is abundantly rich and abundantly full. It is eternal, yet it begins immediately. Christ is the good shepherd. Our last then characteristics of the good shepherd is that the good shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know him. It's verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. The text we find in chapter 10, verse 1 through 18 is full of repetition. And there's at least three references that conveys that Jesus knows his sheep and the sheep know him. What that observation means is this. To know Christ is most important and everything else becomes secondary. Let me say it again. To know Christ is most important in your life and everything else becomes secondary. We've talked about this before. Notice to know Jesus is not the same thing as really just knowing about him. We can know about each other. It doesn't mean you're in a relationship. I mean, to know Christ really means that you're in the intimate relationship. So we need to ask ourselves, do we truly know Christ in such a way? Or we just know about him. Because the most important issue in life is to truly know Christ. And Jesus wants you to know him. It's evident in the scriptures. Look at verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. The other sheep not in the fold is mankind. It, it, he was speaking to the Jewish people at this particular moment. And he was telling them, I have other sheep, which means the non-Jews or the Gentiles. So it tells Jesus came to save the Gentiles, all people, not just the Jewish people. He came to save each man, woman, and child. He came to save you. It's an insight you gain early in the Gospel of John that Jesus came to save the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish of everlasting life. But equally important is the verse that follows verse 17. For God does not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. All that means again that Jesus Christ is the door to everlasting eternal life with the Father in heaven. He is indeed the good shepherd who lays down his life for each and every one of us. We need to listen for his voice. Yearn to know him. We need to listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. We need to shut out all the other voices of the world, particularly that of the thief who comes to destroy us. Because only Jesus is ready to offer us eternal joy. As you contemplate all that then, it's worth reading the final two verses once more. He says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, 
and the authority to take it up again. This charge I received my father. Jesus saying here that as he is doing the work of the good shepherd is all the will of the father. The father loves him because he died for each and every one of us. Then we also ought to love him equally because he died for all of us. He made his soul an offering for our sins. We can't truly imagine everything that was in his mind, his soul, processing those dark three hours on the cross. But God the Father put him through the sin of the world. Jesus went really through hell for you and for me. Shouldn't we recognize him then as the good shepherd and listen truly to only his voice? Not listen to the voice of the enemy. Listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd. Recognize the gate, the door, and follow that one voice, the voice of Jesus. Father, we thank you for this message today, Lord, as it reminds us of some truths again once more. Two more I am statements we recognize, Lord, that we need to receive in life. That Jesus truly is the only way. That Jesus truly is the good shepherd for all of us. He makes it abundantly clear in the fact that he'll lay down his life for each and every one of us. In fact, he has. And let's today, Lord, just be so thankful, so grateful that he has. I pray for anyone here today who has never received the good shepherd. I pray, Lord, today if anyone has ever entertained another way to the Father, they would actually dismiss any other idea and recognize there's only one, there's only one. It is only Jesus. And Lord, it recognizes not Jesus plus something. It's just simply Jesus. So Lord, today as we begin to have our invitation a bit later to respond, I pray that you'll speak to our heart. Speak to us today, Lord, to recognize that we truly need to receive Jesus and listen to that one voice the voice of your son. We thank you today for how this message reminds us of this truth. In your name we pray.